Greetings to all of you listening to this message. This is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. First, I just briefly want to mention to those that have never heard any of my messages that I will seek to give a message here out of the Spirit of God as commanded through the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Peter if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. <clears throat> we are to seek to speak, not out of ourselves, but out of the Spirit of God, those words that are truly coming from God. So for those that are listening in God's foreknowledge to this message, my prayer is that this message will not just minister to your emotions and your soul, but to the very core of who you are, that you will discover a greater depth of reality, which can only satisfy the very core of who you are made to be. Because I seek to do this, I do not spend any significant time at all in preparing a message. What I do is I Seek for God to lead me to a particular chapter from the Bible. Usually that's done before God by the casting of lots. I don't do this as a game because I live holy in a pure life. This works very powerfully. I have total faith in the sovereignty of God who knows all things whose presence is attached to every particle of existence in that way to also lead me to the right chapter. That's not the only way I experience his leading, but often this is the case. So I spend a half hour meditating on that chapter and make brief notes in that half hour, and then immediately after I share the message, not knowing particularly what God will say because I trust him to reveal things to me, even as I'm speaking, which often happens. Today, I was led to Ephesians chapter 3. So first of all, I will read Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to your word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, 
who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now onto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Excuse me, as I often get it kind of dry after reading a passage like this at the beginning, I'll take a brief drink of water. <clears throat> First, I want to point out that the passages that I received yesterday, which I did not preach from because I do not preach on every passage I receive. I usually preach only about two to four times a week, these messages. The passage I received yesterday on Tuesday, as well as on Monday, I did preach on Monday, there is significance of the, in those passages in relation to what I'm about to be sharing from this passage in Ephesians chapter 3. One of the things that really came out in the previous passages and on the message that was preached on Monday was how easy it is for people to put their identity in a leader and in one another over their relationship with God. So that there is a conformity out of fear of rejection from one another in relation also to rejection from the leader that causes the loss of our individuality of, because we no longer are real with one another. We have a counterfeit love we may show love and emotion to others, but without integrity. Genuine love doesn't violate the integrity of love. Because love always chooses the highest good. It is truthful to one another. When there is not truthfulness among one another, there is a violation of one's 
inner conscience of what they know is right, of what they know is onto the highest good. And when there is the violation of conscience, the violation of being truthful with one another, the result is that there is not a genuine trust. And because there is not genuine trust, this is replaced with a conformity out of control that comes through the leader and through those that are seeking an identity more in the leader than in their relationship with God and more in one another than in their relationship with God. As a result, the unity is a counterfeit unity. It is like the stones of a building. They are all homogenous. All the bricks look the same. There is not the beauty of individuality, a beautiful mosaic of great varieties of stone coming together to form a beautiful picture and reflection that is fully creative. And as a result, over time, those things that are shakeable are shaken so that what is unshakable might remain. This is how God's word describes the kingdom of God coming forth upon the earth. It is by God shaking those things that are shakeable that what is unshakable might remain. Those things that are shakeable have corruption in them. They have an element of destructibility in them because they are not abiding in what is ultimately real. Reality is that which is filled completely with life and is totally absent of the principle of destructiveness or of corruptibility or of death, if you will. The government of God is a government that has no corruptibility in it. And so the passage that was shared on Monday really brought this out, and that was a particularly very good message. I sense God really powerfully moving through me and sharing, and his spirit speaking through me in that message. And it is very interesting that the next day I received also what is very significantly related to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that I preached from on Monday. I received Judges chapter 2 yesterday, which I didn't preach from, but I want to bring out what is in that passage before I begin to share in Ephesians chapter 3. In Judges chapter 2, we have the angel of the Lord reproving Israel, and it is very interesting what this angel shares, and I will share the notes, the brief notes that I made in relation to this. So I am going to, first of all, just turn to the particular passage of Scripture from yesterday in Judges chapter 2. Turning to Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, we read, And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and said, I made you to go out of Egypt and have brought you onto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. 
ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? This was an angel that appeared before the whole nation of, the, of Israel. It, and the word angel means basically messenger. And one can only conclude that this was the Lord himself in theophany, in a theophany, that is God manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ, as he also appeared to Abraham. I believe in Genesis 15. And so as we continue to read this passage here, the angel asking this question before the whole nation of Israel. It says in verse 3, Wherefore also, wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be in your sides as thorns, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochum, which means weeping, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. That must have been quite a scene to have this powerful being from the very presence of God appear before the whole nation in such a loud voice and declare this to them as a nation. And I just briefly want to read the notes I said concerning this. And we will see as we continue to look briefly at this passage, Judges 2, how the, the reason they did this was because they fell out of a deep identity in their relationship with God that was in conformity to the being of who God is. I'm just going to read the notes. I forgot exactly what I said here, but this is the notes I, get, I put down. The angel of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, asked Israel why they broke covenant with him and did not obey his voice by not making a league with the idolatrous nations about them and destroying their idols. It was because they did not have conformity to the integrity of God's love to hate what was contrary to God's being of love. This is because of the failure to seek God and enter into identity with God above the temporal desires of this world, including the pride of identity in their own spiritual leaders. So that that was more prominent in their motivations than in their relationship with God. Now, that's clearly seen in verses 1 to 5 in this passage. And it particularly stands out in what is stated in verse 19 of this passage, in which we read the fall way. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves before more than their fathers, in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. You see, in this passage, it says that when Joshua passed away, and also the elders after him that bore witness to the mighty works of God, that another generation arose that did not know the Lord. So by the third generation, there was complete apostasy. 
The reason was because their identity was in the leadership. As soon as Joshua passes away and the elders that saw these mighty works, they lost their identity in relationship with God because they never had a real identity in relationship with God in the first place that was what it ought to be. Their identity was more in their leaders. And so when those things crumbled, they crumbled with it. The word of God says that where your heart is, there is your treasure also. If your heart is in the temporal things of this world, then when those things crumble, of course, people end up committing suicide. They end up, as it were, crumbling with those things because that's where they put all their focus, their life, and their energy. They did not bother to seek God. They were more interested in seeking to please people and one another, in seeking to please even God out of wrong motives. This is a familiar trap and a familiar principle that can be observed throughout all of history and that is clearly observed in the Word of God. That leadership is raised up that is of God, supernaturally by the power of God, that lives a very holy life that's been put through the crucible of trial and suffering to be forged to be true leaders that are reciprocals and carriers of the grace of God and his miraculous authority and power. It is obvious to all that they were not merely set up because of some institution of man, but were raised up by God himself to lead, such as Moses, such as Elijah, such as King David, and so on. And in this situation, what happens, the principle that we see and we observe throughout history is simply this. That people fall into the trap of losing their focus on relationship with God and substituting for that relationship with God the blessings that have issued out from God, such as in their leadership, such as in the wonderful material blessings that God brings, the blessings of wonderful children and of abundance and so on. And the focus and the energy and the motivation gets diverted towards the gift rather than the giver. We see this, for example, in the church of Ephesus. In the church of Ephesus, and I'll turn to that now, uh, which is mentioned in Revelations chapter 2. Many of you are familiar with that particular passage, but we can go there also to Revelations chapter 2. And we read this concerning the church of Ephesus. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them, which are evil, and hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, 
and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. So even in the church of Ephesus, which is also the passage of scripture that we are making our theme chapter that we are sharing from today, which is Ephesians chapter 3, they fell out of a relationship with God into a situation where they were filled with spiritual busyness and diligence for truth. but fell out of the secret of intimacy and fellowship with God, which is what is emphasized in Ephesians chapter 3. The secret to maintaining and growing in intimacy and fellowship with God is the secret that is brought forth in Ephesians chapter 3. I have often given the illustration concerning Ephesus, which always bears repeating because it's such a good illustration God gave me. Ephesus was a port city. They had a very deep water port, and because they had that, they were very prosperous. But over time, they took of the blessings of the land in the trees by cutting down the timber to build their own homes and so on and did not replace them with other trees so that over time the soil became shallow and hard and eroded and went into the harbor. And over time that harbor became shallow so that today it is seven miles away from Ephesus Ephesus lost their harbor. And this is a very clear picture of the subtlety of what happens in falling out of a relationship with God. When we receive the blessings of God, which are typified in these trees, and we reap those blessings in the cutting down of those trees to build our own abodes of blessing and habitation, if we fail to break up the ground and plant new seed in the reception of those blessings, we fail to be in thankfulness before God, which comes out of a failure of continuing to grow in the fear of God. As a result, our hearts become shallow and hard. We become shallow and trivial, people that do not know a depth in our inner being. And so there is a counterfeit spirituality that comes and claims to be revival that I've often seen today where there's no emphasis on breaking up the follow ground of our heart as a secret of ongoing growth in the knowledge of God. There's no emphasis on humility and on sobriety that is so strongly emphasized in particular in the New Testament in the book of Timothy and other passages. Does that mean that we don't experience joy and manifest joy? 
Contrawise, the more we know great humility and breaking of our heart and sobriety, the greater the depth of the joy out of true joy that comes from the Spirit of God, out of a relationship of faith, which is known as the joy of faith. That is what God is wanting to do in the body of Christ today. He's wanting to bring us back to a place where there can be genuine revival. And not merely revival that comes and goes and dissipates because man gets in the way and the same process or principle happens again that happened to Ephesus. This happened throughout history where at one time leadership was raised up with, of God and there was the powerful working of God in the midst of the assembly in those that worshipped him in spirit and truth. But over time, those with ulterior motives seek to be in positions of authority, and a hierarchy begins to form that is an independence of God. And so you have the pressure of a corrupt mother structure persecuting the remnant. And as the shuck on corn is a pressure on the process that's going on in the maturing of the corn, eventually that shuck falls off and the corn is brought to maturity in its ultimate purpose of glowing in the sun. So likewise, those things that man in his independence from God tends to grow into are cast off with God's ultimate purpose coming forth because the word of God says that he will shake all things that are shakable, that what is unshakable might remain. So we have this principle, and I do now want to get into Ephesians, the theme chapter today, to just see the secret of overcoming and entering into God's ultimate purpose, which is so clearly described in this chapter. So I'm going to just turn back to Ephesians now, chapter 3, verse 1. And I want to just read the summation of the first nine verses and what I put down here that Paul the Apostle is talking about. The Apostle Paul was chosen of God to reveal the unsearchable riches of the mystery and of the greatness of this fellowship that we have with God and with each other that brings forth a corporate bride of unity and love unto God. That is basically what Paul is talking about in the first nine verses. He's describing how God gave him this revelation, how he was chosen by God to make no one, as it says in verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's commissioning was from God. It was to preach the gospel, which is the unsearchable riches of Christ, as described in the previous verse, to make all men see the fellowship that's coming out of this mystery that has been hid in the past but now is being unveiled. 
It was from the very beginning of the world, hidden God. So I want to share about this because this is so important that we understand this fellowship of the mystery. Now, in this case, Paul's talking about how it's important for all people to see the fellowship of the mystery. This was very clearly brought out by Christ in his prayer in John 17. Need I go and turn to John 17? I will just quote a few verses from John 17 to bring that out. John chapter 17, the prayer of Christ before the Father. And what do we read in John 17 here? Christ says in verse 6, I have manifested thy name, that is God as the Father, unto the men which you gave me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, that they and they have kept thy word. And he goes on. But his prayer is, he has a particular prayer. And he he goes on, and you will see in this prayer what he prays. So I'm skimming it to get to the key verse that I want to read. And we read this. Starting, let's say, we'll start in verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. This is basically what Paul the Apostle is emphasizing when he desires and says that his purpose was to make all men see the fellowship of the mystery. The mystery is in the relationship of the Son with the Father, out of which secret is seen the secret of unity also, not only with God in deep fellowship, but with one another. It is said of the early church that was severely persecuted that the heathen said, Behold how they love one another. And it was them seeing that love that they had for one another that was the testimony of Jesus Christ to the world. And in this passage in John 17, Christ makes it very clear that the purpose of this unity was that they might believe. And so there's a verse here that says that. 
that the world may believe. It's in verse 21. Let me repeat that again. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, when the world believes that God has sent the Son and that Jesus Christ is the full expression of God into the time and space realm, God himself expressed. When they recognize that, they will know a deep turning in their heart of conversion and multitudes will come into the same unity to bring forth an ever greater enlargement of this corporate bride unto God. Until the time comes, as it says in the word of God, by the Spirit of God, through the prophet Isaiah, that as truly as I live, says the Lord, all the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, to the point that even the animals experience the knowledge of God that is emanating from what they see in the presence of God coming through his corporate bride upon the earth. And it says that at that time when the knowledge of God's presence will saturate our planet as the waters cover the sea, that the lion will lie down with the lamb, there will be such a knowledge of God. I had a very precious experience this week in regards to that. I decided since I was sitting in all day on Sunday in my place, to go for a walk on the beach and drive a little ways to get there. And it was an unusual day because it was a bit cloudy and dark and the water was gray and the wind was blowing, but the wind was unusually very warm for October, you know, around whatever it was, probably about the 18th or 19th. It was incredibly warm and, and it was enjoyable. And as I was walking, I was worshiping God, and I decided before I go back in my car, I was going to sit down on the table and watch the waves and just sing unto God. And I, as I was singing unto God and the Spirit and watching the wind blow on the waves, the seagull, of all things, stood right near me on a rock. And I looked at it, and I felt the love of God come out of my eyes, and it's really a strange thing, and I hope you don't think I'm nutty. But I could feel that that seagull felt God's presence coming through me and felt God's love coming through me. And you could see, I could actually feel love coming from that little creature back to me. And it touched my heart because I knew it was God's presence. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the delight I was having in my relationship with God. It was affecting the creation around me with life out of a realm of so much despair and death. We know it says in Romans 8, that there will be the manifestation of the sons of God that will bring the liberation of the whole creation. I'm not going to go into that right now because I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 3 and continue with this passage of Scripture. And I want to mention uh, now verses 10 and 11 here in this chapter. So Paul emphasizes what I just pointed out. To make all men see the fellowship of the mystery. And then here is a very significant two verses. 
10 and 11. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's ultimate purpose is to bring forth a corporate bride that is pure and without spot or wrinkle, as it says in Ephesians chapter 5. God's purpose is that this unity should be so deep and have such deep love and fellowship with God and with each other even though in the natural, the diversity of that unity from so many diverse backgrounds. Can you imagine former Muslims converted, former uh, Buddhists, whatever, and people from so many diverse backgrounds that in the natural would have fought each other, all brought into such a unity and fellowship with God and with each other that they're just filled with such love for one another that they want to lay down their lives for one another. And that you know it's real that is true in the way they love one another. This is the secret that God wants us to enter into. A secret of intimacy, of love, first and foremost with God, that issues forth out of that into a secret of the same relationship with each other. And we are living in the last days when this purpose will be fulfilled. The question is whether we will be those counted worthy to be partakers of this corporate bride and inherit and overcome all things and inherit all things for the glory and the praise of God. Yes, we can enter in to such a relationship with God. Many of you may feel like there's no way I can live a, such a holy and a pure life or be an overcomer of all things. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, you can. Don't look at your weaknesses. Don't look at your past failures. I am here to point you to the secret which is in Christ that overcomes those things. And so I want to begin by sharing this. The secret to overcoming all things is in having a thirst for reality that we do not allow to be quenched by those things that would be a delusion to manipulate our lives away from reality. Now, when I say the word reality, I am not talking about some vague philosophy. I am talking about who God is. God is the very source of reality. And if you look up the definition of reality in a dictionary, it basically comes out of the definition of truth. Truth if you find in various dictionaries, basically means that which is real. So you look up reality or real, 
And it basically means that which is unchangeable, indestructible, and everlasting. So what is the quality that is unchangeable, indestructible, and everlasting? It is the quality of who God is. And that quality is love. For the word of God says, God is love in 1 John. God is love. And that word love is agape love, which is a love that is beyond mere feeling and emotion in fellowship. Doesn't mean that it can't contain it. This love cannot be described in a more higher way than what I'm about to describe to you. This love is a total free choice in God. It is a quality of being that has total free choice to, that always chooses the highest lasting good over any more immediate choice of gratification and satisfaction, which as such would be less than the highest lasting good and therefore would contain the element of corruptibility in it. This love always chooses the highest lasting good and is ever enlarging in choices out of that quality of love into greater and greater expressions of creative love on to the highest lasting good, which is God. And God chose to have a corporate bride to enlarge this love in and to ultimately express this love in with him by coming into total oneness of marriage with God. This corporate bride is the ultimate purpose of why all things exist and were created. They were created for the pleasure of the Creator, and it is only in entering in to pleasing the Creator that we find our pleasure, our ultimate destiny and meaning. Now, so I've defined love is having a total liberty of choice that is totally self-originating and always chooses the highest lasting good. This love also has total purity, total integrity that is totally pure so that it is a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest word, thought, or deed that is contrary to it. As such, this love is the defensive aspect of the love of God, which is known as the holiness of God. It is the foundation that allows God to express love and creativity that can be ever enlarging and without corruption. All you say, why is there all the suffering in the world and all of this? Well, that's another big topic, but I guess I can briefly just mention it. God, as love, does not seek to create machines, but beings that he can have fellowship with. And so he also created us with our own free will. In other words, we are self-originating. We are the source of our own action. 
Our choices create our own destiny. We are our own creators. Because we are and we are self-originating, we are self-responsible and therefore guilty of the choices that we choose that are contrary to love. And so, by creating beings with free will, there is the potential of choice and of rebellion in that choice that results in the potential of hell and of suffering because of being out of harmony with the very source of harmony, which is in love, who is God. And so God's purpose in all that is unfolding in history and all the things that are happening is to bring forth out of this free will, beings that are brought into harmony with his love. But you say, well, why would God create beings with their own free will if it means there's going to be hell forever and suffering, such terrible suffering? Well, actually, the answer to that question is to negate God's very being of love, to express itself in creativity in an ultimate fulfillment that is ever enlarging that we can experience would be what would be totally unjust and evil. Remember, those that choose to reject God's love, which I will explain, they are the source of their own action. And so this is, as it were, like the purpose of a building being built. When a building is built, there's a certain amount of waste that takes place in order for that building to be formed, to be a place that you can inhabit. Those that choose of their own free will to reject the manifestation of God's love to them, which was ultimately manifested on the cross, which I will explain in greater understanding, where power to be forgiven of sins was provided through God himself. It's another big thing to talk about, but if they reject that, that's their choice. And so the ultimate purpose of a house is far greater than the little bit of sawdust that's left over in the process of building it. That's just the reality of the way things are for there to be the experience of heaven and all of these things to exist. God created all things, it says in his word, for his pleasure. They are and were created. And it's only in relationship with God that we find genuine pleasure because God is ultimate reality. It is this quality of love that is what can only contain unlimited life and unlimited power without being corrupted by it, or having that life and power dissipate in corruption, which is also very clearly indicative that God is the very source of unlimited life and power that is contained in ever-enlarging creativity or in goodness. So what I am sharing here is simply this, that there's no greater purpose it is says in the word of God, I has not seen your ear heard, 
neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. It, is, it mentions also, I believe, if it isn't in Ephesians, it's in Peter. It says that we are built together, I think it's in Peter, as living stones as in, to form a house for God to inhabit. We are built together as living stones as a habitation of God through the Spirit. And so God is bringing people into this beautiful unity to become his habitation to be married to him. This is the ultimate purpose. And it says in verse 10 here in Ephesians that the intent is to make known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, what? To the principalities and powers in heavenly places, to all of creation, so that they will have no excuse to rebel, so they'll enter into immunity from the possibility of rebellion. In fact, so that they will immediately be self-condemned if they would so much as think or choose to be defined against such an incredible love. Now, I want to describe a little bit more of the essence of this ultimate reality, the I am that I am. That is a, a definition of God. The word of God, Christ said, I am that I am. And in the Old Testament, God describes himself and says, I am that I am. In Hebrew, it's ahiyya, asher ahiyya. Asher is the word which. I am which I am. Reality it has, which has no corruption, which is unshakable and everlasting. And the essence of that reality is a love that has this integrity, this holiness, which is the foundation from which springs the ultimate manifestation of creativity. Now, what is that ultimately manifested in? It's this. That in the being of God, from the very time of Adam and Eve, there was the recognition that there was such a ultimately pure love that would not tolerate anything contrary to it to the point that that love in God could take judgment upon God himself and absorb it so that we could repent and receive God's forgiveness. It's very clear throughout the Old Testament that God is the source of forgiveness. It's very clear that he will not tolerate sin. Therefore, that implies that he must judge sin or rebellion against his love. It's very clear that they believed when they placed their hand on such as an innocent lamb as representing their sin being placed on that lamb, that they recognized that the lamb allowed God to cleanse their physical body so that his spirit could dwell with them. But they recognized the animal could not represent their soul and spirit to cleanse their soul and spirit, and that ultimately forgiveness was in God. And there was the clear, and I'm sure many had the revelation and even intellectually came, I'm sure some, to recognize that this clearly meant that God himself must become a perfect atoning sacrifice. And so there are many prophets that described it hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came, describing the coming of God to suffer and humble himself more than us mere creatures and suffer more than us mere creatures and taste death for us upon the cross and absorb it and conquer it. Taste sin and death conquered on the cross 
so that we could cry out and say unto Jesus Christ, O Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, cleanse me of all my sin and make me white as snow. Forgive me of all my sin and know total cleansing and a total clean conscience from all of our failures and sins and know his forgiveness. Think of it. It's hard to comprehend that God would do that in himself in the time and space realm for us, but that's exactly what happened. And I want to explain the mystery of this fellowship even more because the mystery is discovered in the relationship between the Son and the Father. So I want to describe this a bit. This is mentioned, for example, in Colossians. Paul's desire is that they might know the mystery of the I'll, I'll just turn to that passage. I think it's Colossians 2. It'll be pretty quick to find, I think. And he says this in Colossians chapter 2. It's the same burden he's expressing that's in Ephesians chapter 3. And here's how he says it here. He says, I've, I, I would that you knew the great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto the riches of the full assurance of understanding. What to? The acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I want to explain the mystery of God the Father and of Christ. And first, for those that are new and may not be un know much about the Bible, the Word of God, I want to say this, that we do not believe in three gods. We believe there is only one God. As it says in the Word of God, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We don't believe in three gods. But here is what you need to understand about God. It's not hard to understand what I'm going to explain. It is obvious that there's three ultimate aspects to existence. That which is beyond time and space, the time and space realm, which is the realm of creation, that God has created, and the fullness of all, the filling of all things, omnipresence. God as the I'll explain the last part there that I just mentioned a little better in a moment. God as the Father. The Father represents God in government that is beyond the time and space realm and sees the end from the beginning. The understanding of Father is the understanding of being the originator, of being one that is experienced through time, what has matured him. And so the father in government is the originator and also the one that sees beyond the time and space realm the end from the beginning. So for God to govern in a realm beyond time and space, he must be in that realm and thus in consciousness and personage in that realm or he would not be God. He would not be able to govern. But for God to govern within the time and space realm or to be able to create and govern within creation, 
he must also be fully in consciousness and intelligence in personage in that realm. Or he would not be God. And for God to govern the other ultimate aspect, which is to fill all things, he must by his spirit be an omnipresence attached to every particle of existence that he has created with the power to be in conscious intelligence and creativity in all places at the same time. So there is one God that governs as the Father beyond time and space, as the Son into the time and space realm, and as the Holy Spirit of God filling all things in government. Omnipresence. Now that I have explained the understanding of the one true God and his being of love, which is the very containment of reality and of life that is everlasting in abundance and enlarging in abundance of fulfillment. I want to explain the mystery between the Father and the Son. And it is found in the fear of God. And so I briefly want to explain the fear of God. I am not talking about a negative fear here. I am talking about a healthy fear like fearing the law of gravity. The fear of God is a choice to acknowledge God for who he truly is, to face reality, who God is. That is only possible in recognizing that what is ultimately real must have this quality of love that judges what is contrary to it, that is totally pure in its integrity. It acknowledges the holiness of God and therein recognizes only that quality can be ultimately trustworthy. But if it was only that aspect of God, which is represented in a, a negative symbol, which is the symbol in electricity, all of creation has negatives and positives. That also represents foundation. It's that foundation from which springs creativity, which is represented in the plus symbol, or what springs out of that foundation, forming the positive symbol, which is in the symbol of the cross. That was ultimately manifested in the fact that God came into this creation realm He's the, Jesus is the full expression of the Father. As it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he is the full expression of the Father. The word Son means expression. The Son is the full expression of God beyond the time and space realm into the time and space realm. And in a physical body. And he humbled himself and suffered more than you, a mere creature, on the cross so that you could be forgiven if you would repent and receive his atoning work on the cross. But here's the thing I want to share with you 
which is found uh, in a verse in Isaiah chapter 33, which is a really good verse that emphasizes this. It's Isaiah 33 around verse 5. It's verse 6, actually, and it says in verse 6, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. And here's the part. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now that statement, the fear of the Lord is his treasure, is speaking of the Messiah. It's speaking of God. The context is very clear that it is the Lord that is exalted. And that is filling Zion. And that is filling Zion so that Zion has wisdom and knowledge. So, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, treasures the fear of God. The secret of the mystery of this fellowship, we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 3, is in this way. When Christ, as the Son, gazes on the face of the Father. He's filled with appreciation for the integrity and purity of the love in the Father. Then manifests a wholeness and a beauty out of which issues an incredible glory. And there is reciprocation with thankfulness and a desire. And so the son says to the father, Father, I love you, and I so appreciate who you are to me. And so I want to be enlarged in my love for you. So what I want to do is I want to go and humble myself and suffer more than these than, than these mere beings that you've created and become an atoning sacrifice for them so that I can bring to you, Father, a corporate bride that you can enjoy. I just want to enlarge in my love by doing this for you, Father. I'm willing to go through all that suffering and humiliation, Father, to be enlarged in the expression of my love to you with a corporate bride. And the Father says to the Son, Son, I see such beauty and glory in you, and I'm filled with thankfulness for the purity of love in your heart that is a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest that is contrary to your love. And son, I want you to go, even as hard as it is for me to let you to go and to humble yourself and to suffer and experience my judgment upon you so that you can inherit a corporate bride and enjoy it before me and with me. And so herein lies the secret of the mystery of the fellowship. It is out of the fear of God, which is that choice to recognize God for who he is, not an intellectual choice, a deep turning from the heart that acknowledges the holiness of God and recognizes our utter dependence upon God out of that in thankfulness. And out of that issues the desire to express that thankfulness in greater and greater creative expressions of thankfulness. So that love continues to grow and to grow and to grow. 
instead of falling into the deception of our own self-interests. And this is the mystery that Paul is talking about. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, and here in Ephesians. And I want to point this out now in verses 12. It says in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Notice that it says by the faith of him, speaking of Christ. What it's saying there is that our faith comes out of Christ. So we cannot even have faith unless we are seeing God for who he truly is. Unless we choose to fear God and reciprocate who God is, we cannot have faith. It is in perceiving that God is ultimately trustworthy, which is only possible in perceiving that God is holy and pure in his love. And not only that, but has the power to assure destiny and, for, and purpose to us because he has the power to show mercy. If we do not have the genuine fear of God, we'll never know the mercy of God. We'll never recognize the greatness of his mercy that he would forgive us. But when we really see how we deserve the judgment of God because we perceive the utter purity and integrity of his love, then we see the greatness of his mercy to us personally, and therein we see the greatness of his love to us personally. And when we see that, that is totally trustworthy. That is something that is perceived that is totally trustworthy. Anything less would not be. If God could not assure to you as an individual or to creation ultimate purpose and destiny, he would imply that he had created beings that were imperfect and that he could not bring purpose to his creation which would imply he's imperfect, and we know that's not the case. And it is only in this perception of God that we can perceive that he's ultimately trustworthy. And so it's out of that perception that our spirit opens up when we really see that and choose to see that. We're in this state where we're like a fist that's closed in rebellion against God, or like a black hole in outer space that is continually trying to fill the void that can only be filled by God. And the more we try, the more we cause destruction around us like a black hole pulling things in and outer space. But when our being opens up and lets go and lets God have his way, and we surrender and our hand opens up to this perception of who God is and who he is in truth, that open hand, is a state of selflessness in our soul and spirit, is a state of faith. As it says in the word of God, boasting is excluded by the law of faith, self-glory, self-worship. Whatever you trust in is where you're putting your worth and glory and where your worship is. So intellectually, you can be convinced that you're worshiping God, but if your trust is really in yourself, you're deceived. And we can fall into that trap of self-trust like the Ephesian church or like those that believe in a philosophy to save them, to get rid of their ego. All that does is refine ego beyond the comprehension of the mind and make you like a zombie. You can't crucify yourself. It's only in God that you can find salvation. Only he is the one that is worthy of worship and glory. If Christ was a mere creature and he saved us, 
then we would be worshiping a creature and giving glory to a creature. No, Christ is not a creature. He is the full expression of God into the time and space realm. He is the very reason and purpose for which we live and for which we find our destiny and, and is the very source of the, of, the, of the secret of unity without corruption, of ultimate economy that can ever expand in creative love, that can ever enlarge in creative love forever and ever without end. And Jesus Christ it is it says in Galatians that faith works by love, and that's how it works. Our spirit, our soul opens up and surrender. And then the Spirit of God, which can represent the other open hand, comes in. And against our spirit, forming two hands of prayer, which can also represent a seed. And so we have the new divine seed, a new nature. We're born again of the Spirit this way. That's what it says in First John. It says this Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The faith that is of Christ, that comes out of the fear of God, that is reciprocated in a relationship of faith that works by the perception and the reception of God's love. Out of the fear of God that perceives the utter purity of God's love and required judgment. And so when we have such a relationship with God, as it says in verse 12, we can have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Christ, of what's coming out of Christ, as I explained. Now, I know that time is going on, and I probably preach far more than an hour. So I cannot continue to just share maybe everything in this, but we'll just see how I can close this in the next short while. I believe what I will do is I will continue to preach on this passage maybe in the next message and just go up to this part right now for time and continue to preach on the last part of Ephesians the next time I do my preaching or incorporate it into the next chapter that I receive. Because if I continue to preach in all of this, it will take a long time. So I thank you for listening to this message and may God bless you all. I look forward to serving you out of the love of God again.